The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard and I'm joined by my colleague, Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is A.G. Block, a former editor of the California Journal and co-founder of the Public Affairs Journalism Program at UC Sacramento Center. A.G., thank you for joining us. Oh, glad to. It's too bad it's such a dull day. There's nothing really to talk about. I know. Yeah. It seems like an eternity ago that we talked about doing the podcast, and that's only been a day or two. Yeah. And now it's just, it's unreal. Um, and we're, speaking of the podcast, we're changing things around a little bit today as far as the schedule goes. We're going to post this as soon as we can. We're chatting here Thursday morning, and we'll try and get it up um, as quickly as we can. Normally, we put these up at the beginning of a week, Monday uh, or Tuesday, but this time we're going to get it up faster because so much is happening right then. So, Tim, did, were, were you going to say something that I cut you off? Uh, no, I was just going to say, uh, <laughs> speaking of things moving quickly, can anyone believe that it was uh, it was so recent that we were watching the Georgia election results, which seems like last month? <laughs> yeah, I know, totally true. Uh, Adrian, you just uh, uh, wrote a great article, I think really the definitive in-depth article on the plight of California Republicans. And a couple things really struck me. One was uh, a comment by Roger Nilo, a former Republican legislator, who said that the Republicans in California have ignored 25 years of demographic history, and they just haven't kept up with the demographics of the state. What's, what's your feeling about What's your take on that? No, I think he's absolutely right. Uh, and he, he's not... This is... This is uh, stuff that we were writing about the California Journal from 1994 on, that that Prop 187 had energized uh, the Latino vote in California, had more and more Latinos were were, uh, getting into the political system, they were registering to vote, they were voting, and um, the motivator for that in large measure was Prop 187, which was sponsored by Republicans and embraced by Republicans. So that handwriting was on the wall a long time ago, and they never moved off of it. And I think that's what Roger was talking about, that for 25 years since the passage of Prop, uh, it's been 27 years now, since the passage of Prop 187, Republicans really haven't changed their tune. And so this is this is a natural, natural response to that. Why do you think they haven't changed their tune? That's sort of a mystery to others. That, to those who follow California politics, is this an ideological, inbred, systemic problem that they've got? Is it a racial, ethnic issue? You know, predominantly. What What do you think is going on there? You know, I can't really say what all the motives were, but clearly it worked, and it worked for a while, and it worked in those districts that elect Republicans. You know, we'll probably get into talking about the base here before too long. And uh, it, it, it's been successful, a successful message with the, with the base. And a successful message not only in California, but, you know, Trump carried it to, to the nth degree at the, at the federal level that uh, we, all these people were coming across the border to take your jobs and take your, you know, get welfare and, 
And that was a message that, however false, resonated with uh, the Republican base in California. So here they are. Hey, Tim, we were talking before about the, uh, that uh, tweet and retweet of Shannon Grove, the Senate Republican leader, um, uh, basically reflecting uh, her continued staunch support of Trump. And I assume she means that she thinks that will appeal to her, to the base that she, as she knows it. I mean, she's a Republican leader of the state Senate, so there ought to be some, she ought to have some basis for that. What do you think about appealing to that base? Is, is that one way of doing it, by, by basically supporting Trump, no matter how discredited he is, he's, he is well, nationally? I think this is a debate that's going to go on at the national level for, for a long time now, is just how much Trump, and um, excuse me, I, I have often have a frog in my throat in the morning, <coughs> Brandy, just hum- uh, brandy yeah. helps that. Not in the morning necessarily, but brandy helps that. Okay, I'm <laughs> well, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, but uh, the, the thing that, that Trump has done is, he, and the people who have enabled him, uh, a number of them Californians, have corrupted that base. They've corrupted it badly. And what I, I don't mean that in a criminal sense. Uh, they have fed their base a, a whole panorama of lies and falsehoods over the last four years, uh, starting with the size of his inaugural, um, and culminating now. Well, and, and frankly, that, starting before that with his repeated assertion that Barack Obama was not born in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really his one single political issue before he re- entered the race. It was this yeah. birther issue, which was, I mean, ludicrous on its face, and yet. There were no, very few prominent Republicans were willing to stand up and say, this is an idiotic assertion. It's beyond the pale. It's easily disproven. Uh, this is well, that, a joke. Yeah, that, you, could, you could say, Tim, that was the genesis of this. Yeah. But it has now gotten to the point where since the election, they have the Trump people and uh, abetted again by congressional Republicans and other prominent Republicans have fed that base a constant diet of lies about the validity of this election. And you saw that culminated yesterday on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. It exploded. And so when you talk about the base, and this is, I think, we, we mentioned it in the story, and I think it's a critical problem for the California Republican Party is that a big chunk of this base believes that bullshit. And as a result, uh, how do you now expand that base, which is the problem they have, without alienating those people you've lied to over the years? And I'm, I, you know, I, in doing this story and talking to a lot of people, I don't see a way out of this for them, for the California Republican Party. And if you look at polls, Look at the polls that are coming out. Even today, what are we, two months out from the election? All the evidence has been presented. All the states have certified the vote. The Congress has now certified the vote. And still, I think polls show, what, 70% of Republican voters think that election was stolen. And to put that in context, here's, here's a fascinating part of this, is that to believe that, you have to believe that the Republican governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, the Republican secretary of state of Georgia, uh, Raffsberger, and the Supreme Court 
three three justices of which were appointed by Trump are all in on this because they're the ones who've been certifying these elections. And the level of willingness to believe something that is that falls apart on its face is ludicrous. And and to bring this back to what we were talking about earlier, uh State Senator Shannon Grove, who's the Senate minority leader, claims on her social media that she absolutely believes that the election was stolen. So she's endorsing these yeah, conspiracy she said theories. That for a, yeah, she said that for a while. Yes. And and, she, and when she said, know, I think as, as recently as a week, she was posting, retweeting stuff from other uh, other people, you know, endorsing Cruz's challenge to the, uh, to the vote count and all that. So... I mean, this goes beyond the base. This is from the leadership, too. Yeah, and she's also very close to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, they're both from Kern County, I think, from the Bakersfield area. And she, um, uh, McCarthy yesterday was one of those members of the U.S. House delegation who uh, voted not to certify or accept uh, the the electoral, certified electoral votes from, from contested states. So he... He's in that always Trump camp at this point, even now, even now. And, and you know, he went on he went on to what TV or whatever to condemn the, the riots. But, hey, I'm sorry, you own that. And that's another problem now. And it's a we didn't even deal with that in the story we, we did because it hadn't happened yet. But the, what happened yesterday in in. in uh, the capital is sort of the natural progression of, of trends and, and that have been building up inside that base mm. for a while. And I'm sorry, I, you could be Lindsey Graham and, and even even Mitch McConnell and go on TV, it, it, you know, after after the deed and say, oh, my goodness, how terrible this is. And uh, I'm done with Trump. I'm sorry. You don't get that by. You don't so get- one question, you know, we didn't get to... Uh- Obviously, in the story, you didn't get to examine events that had not yet happened. Uh, but yeah. but, given but I tell you, I will tell you, Tim, they hadn't happened. But I'm nobody's surprised about them, and they should have been anticipated. Yeah, that's. I ahead. have to say, this is you know my exact take. I have friends that are just flabbergasted by what's happened, and I have to say, I am not. I mean, I, yeah. my one thing that I'm shocked about is that the Capitol Police were so, pardon my profanity, fucking inept. I mean, it's absolutely inconceivable. Thank God this was not Russian troops because Vladimir Putin would be sitting in the Oval Office right now. Uh, I mean, this was a complete joke. and uh, But the actual fact that this happened and that we had uh, people who were on the extreme right wing attempting to take control of the government, yeah, why wouldn't we think that? We've had the President of the United States claim that he had an election stolen and he needed to be rescued for two months. Why would this yeah, be a surprise? I- it shouldn't be a surprise. Hey, AG, um, yeah. uh, when you were talking to uh, uh, Brulte, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jim Brulte, the who, former chair of the party. Um, but he had some interesting comments about the registration numbers. It's been sort of conventional wisdom for a number of years now that the Republican Party in its registration in California is now sort of a third party. It slipped below, uh, declined to state. But in fact... Over the last over the last couple of years, it's increased. Uh, now it's about half a million more than they had before. They're back in se- second place only marginally. But my question was, there seemed to be a slide downward in their registration. There was, 
they lost people, and Democrats lost them too, but Republicans lost them more. Since that seminal year of 94, their registration went down like 13 points. Yeah. Democrats during the same period lost about three points. But in the last couple of years, Jim was saying that there's been about a half a million new Republican registrants and they've eked a little barely back into second place. So my question is, how are they, what was that that got them back up? And as identifying with Trump, one of the reasons is that, is that the numbers the Reaps are looking at that says, hey, if we identify with Trump, this may no longer be true, we get a, a little bit of a registration bump, a better base. Does that, yeah, what, I think, what's your take uh, on that? Yeah, I think that's, that's probably true that, that Donald Trump was the engine that drove that registration increase. And um, it, I think uh, I talked to, a, I didn't quote her in the story, but I talked to a, a professor from Laura Stoker from UC Berkeley who, who sort of focuses on this kind of thing in her political science research. And, and her take was that they were getting people because of Trump. They were getting people, they being the Republicans, uh, to register who had, you know, basically were couch potatoes when it came to politics. They just didn't participate at all. And Trump motivated them to participate, and that caused something of an uptick. Uh, and so that actually, I think you could make the argument that that has con now contributed to their problem because it solidifies that portion of the base, which is always going to be there. The problem they have at 24%, the problem they have is they have to grow past that. They have to continue to grow. And the places they, they can look to add more registrants are not friendly, is not necessarily good territory for them, given what's happened over the past four years and especially over the past few weeks. Uh, they have to go into ethnic communities. They have to get more Latinos to join. They have to try and make inroads among African-American communities. They have to, to, to appeal to uh, Asian communities. This is where the growth in population and voter population is. And especially, and here's a real critical uh, piece of it, they have to appeal to young voters because their base, the, the current base, that is white, it's aging, it's not particularly well-educated, and it's dying out. And so in order to replenish that, that base, they have to appeal to young people coming into the, the voting population. And they got no message for that group, nothing. And that's, that's a group that I can look in my own household to, uh, to young people who are in that demographic, who got energized by this election, not because they thought Donald Trump was a great guy, but in order to get him out of office. Yeah, I think, oh, yeah. you know, I think that's actually one of the things you're speaking to is Donald Trump certainly energizes a portion of the electorate who will then respond to his message and register Republican and, and be a lot, a, very active. The question is, does that conversely make people that really strongly oppose Trumpism even more active on the other side. And, and I don't have an answer for that. I mean, my argument would be that uh, if you look at Georgia as a Petri dish, yeah. it, it seems to be that that may have happened. I think Trump obviously drove 
uh, a lot of turnout in Georgia. But I mm-hmm. think he yeah. also drove a lot of turnout for people who absolutely wanted to see him out of office. And well, he, no, I, the, Georgia I think votes. the national election sort of, I think the national election kind of reflected that with these record numbers on both sides. Yeah, and it did. But it, it, I, would, millions I, would, of, uh, just unreal. I would look at sorry, Georgia. Yeah, I would look at Georgia uh, with a, a bit of caution uh, for the overall argument. And that bit of caution is Stacey Abrams. You had a an individual organizer in uh, in Georgia who really made that happen, and I don't know if if she's replicated in other states. So I'm sure the uh, Democrats are attempting to clone her as we speak. <laughs> well, I I, I, heard, <laughs> yeah, I, I heard I heard somebody suggest yesterday on Twitter that she ought to be given the job of doing just about everything, including running Major League Baseball. So you. You, she, her star is, and, and and the proof of her competence is in what happened a couple of days ago in Georgia. But that's a cautionary tale. It may not happen at other places. However, that demographic, that young demographic, if you're the Republican Party nationally and especially in California, you have to have policies and messaging that appeals to that group. And guess what's at the top of their list of of priorities? It's the environment and climate change, and healthcare isn't very far below that. And Republicans are on the complete wrong side of that issue. Trumpism is on the complete wrong side of that issue. And so what message do you have as a California Republican to say, hey, 22-year-old, you should support us because we're going to do all these great things, which we don't know what they are yet. But we're going to, you know, that's the con that's been spewed out by the Trump administration. And I don't think there's a message there. AJ, here's a question for you. So, I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I certainly think that it is hard to sell anti-environmental policies and policies that are going to contribute to global warming, basically to almost anyone at this point. I think you really have to be pretty far right to to not be aware of that. But I think it's interesting. Except the, the current base of the Republican Party. The, 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 lion, the lion's share of the Republican Party, they're all in on, we don't need science. They're all in on efforts to ease regulations that protect the planet. So that base is there and it's a threat to you as a party if you want to grow. I, I agree. So here's a question I have for you and maybe you can explain your thoughts on this. So the election we saw in November in California was not good for Republicans uh, overall, although they did uh, take back several yeah. House seats, but in the in the the Assembly and the Senate, they did not do well. And obviously, yeah. I think I, I, if I remember right, uh, Biden got two thirds of the vote compared to one third for Trump, something like that. So, yep. um, but progressive ideas and ideas that have been put forward by Democrats at the legislative level were soundly rejected. Prop twenty two yep. is very. Uh, I mean, Prop 22 was a, a Republican, absolutely like almost a Republican mantra. Um, and that passed with very solid numbers. Uh, they rejected um, the idea of, of reinstating affirmative action and acknowledging that there were racial improprieties that needed to be addressed. Um, oh, and uh, bail, eliminating cash bail. Again, these are all things that were very prominent uh, Republican ideas or you know endorsed by Republicans were were very pr- 
pro-Republican ideas, and right. they passed comfortably. So there are issues that Republicans resonate with a majority of Californians. Uh, can they somehow connect to those and, and maybe run on those types of ideas? Yeah, I think that's the plan, frankly. Uh, every Republican I talked to uh, preparing the story pointed out that uh, the Democrats uh, were probably too far over their skis uh, with progressive, a progressive agenda. And I'm sure that message wasn't lost on Democrats either, by the way. Um, and Bruce Kane said, uh, a professor at Stanford that I talked to, uh, you know, he put it, he said, we're not, this is not a deep blue state. It's a light blue state. Yeah, yeah. that was, that was that kind of one of the that, And I think that's, that's absolutely true. California is not nearly as progressive as many people think that it is, you know. I mean, outside the state. It just has that rap, but it's not. That, that does offer opportunities for Republicans um, to, to offer policies that are perhaps more in touch with the electorate than Democrats, if the Democrats don't get the message. <clears throat> but you got to have more. And at this point, the brand of the Republican Party is so toxic that it it's hard to if you're if you're thinking about becoming a Republican, uh, it's hard to to take a step back and say, <clears throat> yeah, I kind of agree with you on this and I agree with you on that. The Dems are a little far out there, but hey, your party has no morals. Your party has no ethical center. Your party for four years has been enabling. Uh, a tyrant. And I'm now going to trust you here in California with what? Well, I'm not going to trust you on the environment, that's for sure. So there has to be kind of a transcendental change here for the Republicans before they can take advantage of the opportunities that, as we point out in the story, are there. Those opportunities are there and they're, and they're there. And in some ways they cross uh, ethnic lines. You know, there are policies there that do appeal to let the Latino community, that Republicans... Do, could... do you think they've sort of already started that a, a little, a bit of a comeback? Uh, 2018, they were down to seven congressional districts. In a state that has 53 congressional seats, they were down to seven. And this past election, they got four of them back. So are, was that a fluke based on personal district issues, issues oh. that were going on locally, or is that... A trend, or is it neither? I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is, John. Four years ago, uh, two years ago in 2018, there was a concerted effort nationally uh, to flip the House, and it focused on those kinds of swing districts in California, and they were very successful. Um, now, a couple of those candidates that the Democrats elected turned out to be flawed, and that you know that didn't help. Uh, Republicans did claw back four of those districts, but they did it. They were all very, very close elections. Mike Garcia won, what, by just a few hundred votes. And then he goes off to Washington and declares his support for the uh, not to certify the vote. So how many people voted for him? He only won by 400 or 500 votes. How many of people in his district look at that and say, oh, my God? Look what we did. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and is he going to have a problem in two years? I think if the Democrats, as I say, don't go into a coma, they're going to come after those guys. But 
The other factor we don't know at this point, we don't know what those districts are. And so they're all going to be redrawn. And so the dynamic in every district is going to change. And we just don't know at this point um, what kind of opportunities that will offer Republicans to perhaps claw back some more districts or how much jeopardy their newly elected people are going to be in uh, if, if they get too enmeshed in uh, the Republican policies back in Washington, because those ain't going nowhere. A.G., hey, John, um, just to interject some sort of breaking news, I just checked, and Pelosi has uh, just concluded speaking, and that's Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, uh, has just concluded speaking and is encouraging uh, Trump's cabinet to invoke the 25th Amendment and says that if that doesn't happen, they may seek to impeach the president. Uh, Schumer has called for the same thing. So uh, this is a rapidly changing situation. Um, so all of this, whatever happens at the national level, is obviously going to have huge implications for Republicans in the country and certainly in California. And we could be looking at a wholly different landscape in two weeks. I mean, it's just inc- what what is happening yeah. and the speed with which it's happening is inconceivable. Well, well, I think um, the, the Pelosi speech, I think, was pretty, I thought that for, for me personally was pretty expected after Schumer had already gone for that. And the, the Democratic leadership, I think there was obviously there's consistency and they hang together. I think the thing to wait for and to watch for, which would be huge, is when and how many uh, Republicans, prominent Republicans come out and say the same thing, turning on their own their own party, or, or maybe that's not the right phrase, but being independent enough to, to say that. And if they do, I think that uh, Romney already has. I may have that wrong, but I thought he did. But others need to do it. And at that point, there'd be, there would be, uh, there could be a groundswell for that, even though there are only a few days left. Uh, it, it, saying that you're going to impeach if they don't do the 25th, I think is sort of um, very misleading. I, I think the, the they don't have enough time to do that, but the twenty fifth, I think they do have time to invoke. You know, I would, I would say that if for that. I, being that, I, you know, I'm no constitutional uh, expert, but my gut feeling is that if McConnell was on board with it, they could make it happen. It's you know, well, it's, you got, he's not yeah, dragging. There's another guy who has to be on board with it, and he's from California. And yeah, but he's has, the minority leader, so he has limited well, power in the speak. You know, in the in the House. In an impeachment vote, I don't. I honestly don't know, but it's it would be a breakpoint for him if, in fact, momentum gathers to impeach Trump. It would be a symbolic impeachment just to show that you can't do what he did yesterday or for the last three weeks, and and not have a consequence. And so, if they if they push forward with this symbolic effort. Uh, to impeach him, and McCarthy stands in their way, even if ineffectively. Um, what does that mean for him in California? And what does that mean for the California Republican Party, that your most prominent official in the state, and he is, he's the most prominent California elected official at this point. I would say by is, far, yeah. Yeah, is is all in with trying to save Donald Trump. So, uh he would have a you know this this is a 
a seminal moment for him if it, if it gets very much farther. And as far as the 25th Amendment's concerned, um, what Elaine Chow resigned today as Secretary of uh, Transportation, uh, Mitch McConnell's wife, uh, but she dated it down the road. She didn't make it immediate. It's next Monday or something like that. <clears throat> what does that mean? Does that mean she wants to be in the cabinet as they as they invoke the twenty fifth amendment? Or does anyone know how many people are in the cabinet? By the way, I just know it's it's a majority of his cabinet, but I don't know how many people that actually well, is. Well, and th there's a question of um, whether they have to have been confirmed as members of the cabinet. He's got a bunch of people in that cabinet who are acting. They are not. Oh, I hadn't read that. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, so uh, that was. So being, a person who's been appointed, a, a person who's been appointed may not necessarily have the right to participate in the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Well, that, that, that was something. That was something that, that was seems, being that's debated. Amazing. Yeah, so that was something that was being debated yesterday, uh, on uh, both CNN and, and and NPR, about who is eligible as a cabinet member to participate in invoking the 25th Amendment. And the, it was really, no, there was no definitive answer to that. So who knows, um, who knows how many, how many could be there, could come down to Ben Carson. And, and the, <laughs> nobody is this lame chow. Yeah, and nobody knows. So there, there are a lot of tricky areas uh, that have to be, um, that have to be uh, resolved. And the imperative, sort of the urgency in this, you could say, oh, well, geez, there's 14 days left. What? How much damage can he do? Well, he can do a colossal amount of damage in 14 yeah, days. Yeah, totally. Look what true. happened yesterday. <laughs> and and there are people who are... Hey, he still has the nuclear codes. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, that thing is... Oh, oh my God. <laughs> He I mean, does. he doesn't have access he, he, to a Twitter or Facebook account because that's too dangerous, but he does yeah. still have access to the nuclear codes. So yeah, <laughs> we can but, all rest he, easy. He can't, he can't push the button. There has to be uh, somebody in the military has to go along with him on that. So I, I think uh, if, he, if he attempted to do anything like that, 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 that the other part of the chain of command would simply stop him. But From your mouth uh, to God's ears, A.G. <laughs> well, but that doesn't... That, Look! Look at the pardons he could issue. Look at all kinds of mischief he could cause. And I think there is, uh, including continuing to do what he did yesterday, which is to whip up his base, not just in the capital but all over the country. Now there is a perception that he conceded through Dan. What is his name? Uh, shared a statement that he said was from Trump and has not been disputed, saying that Trump knows that he will be leaving the White House, that he concedes that he lost, although he out alleges that it, he was cheated and that's why he lost, and that he will peacefully yeah. leave and that there will be a peaceful transition. Now, interestingly, that's gotten very little coverage, and I'm not sure why, because it seems to be a notable moment. It is yeah, a notable moment. It was moment. pretty big. That was an AP interview, and he promised, he didn't use the word promise, he, after saying that the election was stolen from him, he said there would be an orderly transition. But is, was yeah, that last night? That's the story I saw on that. And that came out this morning about 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. They well, woke that, some AP reporter up out of sleep and he gave it to him. But Yeah, that, um, that's true. But think about this. He could say that to the AP at 3 o'clock in the morning. And at 3.30 in the morning, he could be on parlor whipping up his base. And, of course. Uh, yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which I has actually was... been, which has been something that's happened quite a few times where he said one thing and then turned that's around right. and sort of said another thing that's very different. Yeah, you know, like within hours. like twice an hour, twice every five minutes he does that. So w- w- you could take that as kind of uh, a carrot that makes everybody go, Whew, okay, and then he could just go out tomorrow and and keep repeating the same BS to his base. He could he could tell people in the in the great state of Jefferson to move on Sacramento and uh, and take matters into their own hands. He could do that. Sure. And my my uh, impression upon reading that statement that um, my impression from reading that statement is it was basically Trump being well aware that the 25th Amendment was being discussed. And yeah. that was him messaging, yeah. hey, you don't have to. I think so, me. too. I'm going to go very quietly. This is yeah. all, you know, this is over. I know it. You're not going to have to drag. Because, I, I mean, frankly, yeah. no, no, I agree. How- In fact, uh, I think you're right. I think when I when I saw the statement, when I saw that story, I thought, well, he's picked up signals that some of his people are talking about the 25th. And this was a direct response, a direct response to that, because nothing else he had done as this crisis went forward over the last 24 hours, 48 hours suggest anything about him willing to be uh, orderly in any way. And yeah. this was, I think, directly in response to fears that he might be booted out, as, as, as remote as that possibility is. And the stories that reported the Post did a long story on it, and there were named folks responding to, the, to, the, to that issue, but there was nobody named. There was, it, there was, it was unnamed sources who said they were discussing it. And so I don't know at what high level they said senior people. What does that mean? Yeah, are, no. are, are they cabinet officials? I, you know, I don't know. You know. Yeah, there's no way to really parse that out at this point. Uh, but uh, like I say, he could turn it on a dime and do something radically, uh, radically disruptive uh, any time at any moment. And I think I was watching. Um, the news hour last night, they had Admiral Mullen on, who was a former chair of the Chief Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he was saying, we're in a very dangerous period because Donald Trump could do and has demonstrated that he would do almost anything. And so we have to be very vigilant. We have to also pay close attention to everything he's doing. Uh, so uh, whether impeachment is the answer, whether the 25th Amendment is the answer, whether you know, locking him in his room is the is the advantage. Uh, I I don't think anyone knows at this point. Let me ask you one more thing. Uh, again, on the Republicans, you, you quoted yeah. uh, in the story. You quoted Thad Kauser at UC San Diego, um, and he said uh, that if Republican candidates uh, who recaptured the congressional districts um, that Democrats that had taken in two thousand eighteen, and the four he mentioned: Michelle Steele, Young Kim. David Valadao and Mike Garcia. And he's talking to Republicans. He says, if you want a lesson on how to win, make sure those new Republicans, the, those new Republican members are the face of the party. Right. Make them the face of the party. So he, he wants the, the Reaps to reach out demographically and ethnically. And that comes back to when we started the discussion are the Reefs capable of doing that? As a party, are they capable of doing it? I, I recognize they have a Latina as chair, but beyond that, as far as the troops go and the foot soldiers go, can they do that, do you think? Well, here's their dilemma. Their dilemma is that they have to do that. They don't have any choice. 
because they're just going to wither away to nothing if they don't reach out to a broader base. And and Thad uh, quite correctly identified what that the face of that new recruitment effort ought to be. But then what do you have waiting over here? You've got their hardcore base. And the hardcore base at this point doesn't seem very amenable to a diversified uh, to a diversified base. It's white. It's it's not well educated. It is full of the same grievances that uh, drive the party at the base at the national level. And it doesn't play well in California. So as you reach out to these other communities, you have to figure a way to keep your existing base uh, okay with that. And I don't know if they can do that. I don't know if they've tried. They've, uh, like I said, and we discussed earlier, they have fed this base a passel of lies for four years, especially over the last uh, three weeks or four weeks. And now uh, that base is fired up and is, is, has a certain set of beliefs about the American political system. So you have to risk alienating that base in order to expand it out to these other areas. And that is a really tricky thing to do. And as long as they continue to embrace Trump and the megaverse or Trumpism, which is something Thad Kauser also said, they're not going to be able to do that. They're not going to have a message that's going to reach out to a broader base as long as they're trying to placate the folks uh, who are their current base. And, you know, it's, let, me, let me just finish with this. And it's something I've been thinking about. It, when we talked about the Republican Party in California needing a transcendental change, uh, they really got to burn themselves to the waterline in, in, in this respect. And in some ways, the, you guys know my, my affinity for, for baseball. And so the Republican Party is, it's like a baseball, professional baseball team that has gone bad. It's like the Houston Astros of politics at this point. <laughs> they, they're a team that, were, that was going nowhere. They were aging. They, and I'm talking a few years ago. They were aging. Um, and they were, they were looking forward to uh, a future that saw them as as the bottom team in, in the American League for years and years to come. And to get back in the game, they tore the organization apart. They, they started over. And yes, they, in the process, they endured a lot of really terrible seasons, but eventually they built a World Series champion. And for the Republican Party to do that, they got to sort of follow that playbook. And in order to do that, it's an incredible risk for them to do that. And the reason it's a risk is because they have to go. Their leaders, such as they are, have to go to the base, the current base, and tell them the goddamn truth about what's been happening over the last four years, that they've been duped, and that, that it's time for a new outlook if they expect their ideas to, to have any currency in, in California's political system. And it, without that, I don't think they've got a road to come back. 
without being able to risk alienating their current base in order to attract a different kind of base, they're going nowhere. So Fair enough. You can end on that. H.E. Block, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Yeah. Uh, I think we should be doing a baseball blog to also. That's, that was really good. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, John. And um, this is John Howard. We will see you later. Thanks again. Take care. Bye.